You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. If I haven't met you before, my name's Josh, and I am the college pastor here at Midtown. And uh, there's no college students here today, so it's fun. Um, well, I am uh, <laughs> grateful to be with you guys today. And uh, I think we're going to have, uh, well, I don't know if we're going to have a fun time this morning, but it'll be a good time and a meaningful time. Uh, but uh, we are going to continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount. And so uh, Jesus has been talking to us um, about his kingdom. And he started off by announcing that his kingdom was here and he as a king is here. And uh, then he started talking about the unexpected people of the kingdom. And then he kind of goes through and he talks about what it looks like to be a citizen of his kingdom and what that looks like. And so um, Jake, actually a couple weeks ago, just walked us through the idea of Jesus and anger. And um, Jesus, during this part of the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he's actually going to take an Old Testament command, uh, namely one of the Ten Commandments, and he's going to mention that command. So like with Jake, he talked about, like, do not murder. And we all agree that that's a good thing, don't murder. Uh, but Jesus kind of gives us a parallel command with that. And he says, hey, like, not only don't murder, but like, hey, don't harbor anger in your heart towards somebody else. If you do that, like, there's going to be judgment for that. And he takes these things very seriously. And Jesus actually goes beneath the surface to the core of the issue. And if you think about an iceberg, right, an iceberg, you see about 10% of it on the surface, but there's another 90% that's much larger below the surface. And really, what happens in the Ten Commandments or in the commandments in the Old Testament, we get a lot of things that kind of hit on the surface or the actions that we do. And Jesus goes, hey, that's important, but we also need to look at what's going on beneath the surface. Because what's going on beneath the surface actually leads to the choices that we make above the, the surface. And so, um, so Jesus is really, he's not really about only our behavior modification. He's about this inward transformation that he longs for us to experience as those created in his image, he wants us to reflect him. And he promises and gives us hope in that. And so um, I was actually supposed to speak on um, commitments and let your yes be yes, your no be no. Man, perfect topic for New Year's, right? Like as we're all making these new commitments. And then Jake had to go get sick on us a couple weeks ago. And, uh, and so I, I, you know, I was committed to this day, and I got um, Jesus on objectification and oppression of women or uh, misuse and misappropriation of sexual desire. So you're welcome. Thank you, Jake. Uh, so, but what we've, what we've seen throughout really human history is that with sex and sexual desire, when these things are misappropriated or misused, that often, almost always, it leads to the objectification and oppression of people, but notably women throughout human history um, and according to Jesus. So we're going to talk about both sides of this, um, but as you're going to see in this, this passage that Jesus kind of, he addresses men specifically. So we're going to do that. We're also going to address everyone, and so because, you know, we're inclusive here. So, um, so welcome. Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, thanks for making it out, and if you're on Zoom, man, you, you looked out. Like, you can just leave. So uh, if people here can't, and I apologize. 
uh, for that. But uh, one of my uh, good friends here, Katie Goodfellow, who's singing on stage, she used to give these, she, used to, she was an intern for me for a little bit with college, and we have these weekly talks, and she would give these caveats. She would give like 10, 15 caveats before she spoke. And so I'm going to give you about six. So I'm not going to be quite as crazy as Katie, but, um, but I do want to say a few things about this topic because it seems like when the church talks about sex, it never goes well. And so, um, so I want to talk about a few different things address a few elephants in the room, and one of them is that uh, I'm not going to use much humor uh, because, yeah, that's just dangerous with this topic, but, uh, but one of the things I want to talk about is this, is this is a hard topic, and this is a topic that for all of us, like, it's touched our lives in different ways, and with sex and sexual desire being misused and misappropriated, for many of us, we've been victims of that in this room. And I also know that this room is big enough that there's been perpetrators of that as well. And some of us are both of those things. And so this is a serious topic that I know that hits all of us uh, in a very, probably raw places within our heart. In fact, that for me, there's a topic that hasn't hit me uh, any deeper or at a deeper level than this topic. Like I have been personally affected not because necessarily choices that I've made, but choices that people have made around me that have done to those people that are closest to me. And in ways that people have been victims and perpetrators of those that are closest to me. And I, I live out these daily consequences of those choices, of the things that have been done to people around me. So this, this hits me personally. Um, but I want you to know... Um, that no matter where you are in this victim, perpetrator, um, that God, he radically loves you. And that no choice that you make changes that. His, his love was exemplified when he died on the cross. And he said himself that no greater love has anyone than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. And that's what Jesus did for us. And so I want you to know that as we're talking about this, that, that your identity is not on the line. That no matter what choices you've made in this area, anything is redeemable. Anything can be restored. And that God radically loves you. And so do we. Um, and so as we talk about this, like this isn't going to be an exercise in trying to add more shame or guilt to your life in this area. Like that's not what we're trying to do. But I do want to have a very raw and honest conversation on this topic. Because honestly, there's very few areas are very few places that we can have these types of conversations in our life. And so I want to be one of those places. And um, before I get any further, I'm going to pray because I need it. And I have way too much to say and way little, too little time to say it. So um, I'm going to waste some of that time. Just kidding. I'm going to use some of that time to pray for us. God, <clears throat> man, it's been a heavy past week for me and just wrestling through this stuff and um, the stuff that this brings up in my own heart and the sadness and the pain and the anger um, of this topic and the things that it's done to those that are just so close to me. God, in the areas of my life that I've uh, had a really hard time forgiving, God, extending grace. Um, and I just, I just pray that you would speak through me today. God, I know, again, this is a topic when it comes to the church and purity culture and all the other things that the church is um, 
maybe done a poor job of talking about these things. And so I just pray that this wouldn't be one of those times. And that anything that I say that isn't of you, that doesn't represent you, Lord Jesus, would fall on deaf ears. Um, but God, those places, those things that I say that reflect your heart and reflect your scriptures, I pray that those things would take deep root inside of our souls and they would change us. That we would experience the inward transformation that you long for us to experience in this area. God, we love you and praise you in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Matthew 5 today. We're going to be talking about Matthew 5, 27 through 32. And um, I'm going to spend most of my time just on two verses, so 27 and 28. So I want to read those to you guys real quick so we have, <clears throat> uh, so we know what we're talking about. The first verse here, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so again, I'm going <laughs> to give a lot of backstory throughout this whole thing because I think a lot of people have different experiences within the church on this subject. And so um, I, I want to set the context. What was Jesus' worldview on things like divorce, marriage, sexuality? What, where was he coming from? And so I want to move, we're going to move about 15 chapters past this um, into Matthew 19 and verses 3 through 6 to look at Jesus being questioned on divorce by these Pharisees and kind of see what his response is and what does that tell us about his worldview. And so um, uh, verse 3 of chapter 19 says this. Some Pharisees came to him to test him, and they asked, um, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Jesus replied, Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and, and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Okay, so one of the key things here is with Jesus' worldview, he always goes back to Genesis 1 and 2. The first two pages of the Bible is Tim Mackey, who um, a lot of this content I got is from um, Tim Mackey. He's the Bible Project guy. Um, definitely worth listening to him. But he talks about a lot of Jesus' worldview comes from these first two pages of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. And so let's talk about Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 1 and 2, Jesus creates male and female, right? And he says that he creates these, um, these humans in his image, that they're his, the image of God. So there's two distinct and different beings, male and female. And yet we see here that these two distinct beings become one humanity or one flesh, right? Jesus here is quoting Genesis 2, 24 through 25, where he essentially says, hey, um, the two will leave their mother and, and father and be united to to each other, and they will become one flesh. That's Genesis 2.24. Um, and so what we see is that something powerful happens, right, when these two entities, these two individuals, these two beings become one flesh, and this covenant commitment that we call marriage, something powerful happens, right? There's this union of their mind, of their heart, of their body. All these things come together, and in this union, we see that something beautiful is created out of it. New life comes. In Genesis 1, 27, he says, be fruitful and multiply. And yes, that's physically be fruitful and multiply, but it's also, hey, and the things around you create beauty, right? And so we see neighborhoods and communities flourishing because people are coming together. And we see this, um, and Jesus sees this, and he re reaffirms this in this institution of marriage. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 
he, um, or 6.16, he actually reaffirms that sex is a part of this union. And he kind of doubles down. He says, in 1 Corinthians 6.16, he says, um, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. So if you have any uh, question of whether, like, uniting together as one flesh is about sex, this clears it up. <laughs> uniting together with one flesh is more than just sex, but it involves sex, and sex is a part of that. And it, it's a big part of that. And so in Matthew 5, Jesus' context here is he says mar- the marriage covenant is so beautiful, right? It's so significant and is so sacred that anything that gets in there and begins to mess that up, begins to distort that, and distorts the image of God inside of another is a big deal, right? Anything that causes brokenness or fractures, this marriage covenant is a big deal. So he cites this command. He says, do not commit adultery. In this case, by ending up in bed with somebody who's not your, your covenant partner, right? That's a distortion of what it means to be human. Okay, you guys tracking with me? Adultery is not good. We all agree with that? Cool. Okay, Jesus says that too. But for Jesus, right, adultery, right, just ending up in bed with somebody else that's not your covenant partner doesn't get nearly enough to the heart of the issue. Because let's be honest, how does someone who makes a lifelong commitment with somebody else end up in somebody else's bed just one day? Like, how does that happen? Whether it's one day, one week, one month, one year after they make that commitment, how does that happen? Most people, I would say like 99.9%, and um, <laughs> they don't just wake up one day and go, I'm, I'm going to cheat on my wife, right? Or I'm going to cheat on my husband. No. Like there's something. Like if you get into people's stories, and unfortunately I've had enough friends who this has happened to. If you get into their stories, there was stuff percolating under the surface of their marriage and in their lives for years. They didn't wake up one day and go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess up my life. No, there was stuff that was going on in their heart for years. And what God says, what Jesus says is, hey, we need to look at what's going on in here. Because once it gets to the choice, to the action, it's too late. And so what Jesus wants to do is he doesn't want to only look at symptoms. He wants to dig deep in our heart and look at the core issues that are going on inside of us. And so in verse 28, he does that, right? He says, hey, anyone that looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in her heart. And so I want to look at two words here, the word look and the word lust. And the word look here, um, in, in the English, it can mean a couple different things. A look can mean a, gla- a, a, a stare, right? Or sorry, a glance, right? I just look in somebody's direction. I glance at them. And then I look over. I'm doing that to a lot of you right here, right? I'm glancing at you, and I'm looking at somebody else. But then there's another word for look right? And that's stare or gaze. And you can see here, to gaze or to stare um, is to look steadily and intently, especially in admiration, surprise, or thought. Or another way to put it is an ongoing, sustained look. And so what Jesus is talking about here is not the look of a glance, right? What he's talking about here is this ongoing, sustained look for a a specific intent or purpose. And what is that intent or purpose? Well, actually, let's look at, I want to look at a couple different translations here that I have on the screen. 
Um, and I cut down a few of these for the sake of time. Uh, but the one that we have is anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, right? That's what I just read, NIV. ESV does a little bit better, or a lot better, and it says anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, right? It gets a little bit more to the heart of the matter. Tim Mackey, in his talk, he talks about it this way. Anyone who stares at a woman in order to fuel sexual desire for her. So what is Jesus not talking about here? I think it's good to, to look at this. What Jesus is not talking about here um, is simply looking at somebody or noticing that somebody's attractive, right? Like, you can't help that. Like, we're all attracted to different types of people, and that happens, right? You can look at somebody and notice that they're a beautiful person. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. What Jesus is talking about here is the choice that you make after you notice. And that choice is, right, am I going to choose to refocus my thought and attention in such a way that I'm going to treat this other person with dignity and respect that they deserve as a person made in the image of God? Or am I going to take this person in and I'm going to use them to fuel my own sexual desire in that moment? And that's what Jesus is talking about, right? And <laughs> Christians, in Christian circles, we love to see what the line is on this, right? Like, what's the line? Like, when is it lust? And the reality is, is that all of us know what that line is, right? Man, woman, whatever. Either because we've been the victim of this type of look where somebody is taking us in, or we've been the perpetrator and we've been the one to give that look to somebody else. You know in your heart when it crosses that line. And again, Jesus' point here is that this is yet another behavior that like sleeping with somebody who's not your covenant partner is, um, is another action that's a symptom of a deeper root issue, right? And again, the issue is adultery with somebody else in your heart. There's something that's going on deeper within here. And the reality is there, there's things that are going on inside of us. We all have these things that play in our mind, and it's not just sexual, right? We have these voices, these things that we say to ourselves, these, narr these narratives that we play in our head that nobody else can see, that nobody else knows about, and yet have a deep impact on who we are and who we're becoming. And one of those things is these sexual fantasies that we let, uh, that we give fuel to within our mind that ultimately is using and objectifying another human being. And what Jesus says is that when this gaze, right, when this ongoing look becomes a sexual fantasy, a movie that you're playing with in your head, that that's a violation and it's a degradation of another person. And we can spin it in a lot of different ways, but it's essentially an, object, an objectification of another human being. And for Jesus, that's not okay. This is very serious to him. And we'll see this in a few minutes of how he talks about, you should, he talks about self-mutilation. You should cut off your right hand, gouge out your right eye. Why? Because this is serious. That any time that another human is violated, another human is deg degraded, that to Jesus, this is a big deal. 
And so we're going to get into this a little bit further and deeper. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I want to step back. And when I look at Jesus' vision for sex in the body and for Jesus' vision of his kingdom, because these two really inform why this is such a big deal. And because as far as Jesus' vision of sex and body, I think um, we have, there's no greater issue in our life, sex, where we get discipled or informed by either culture or the church, right? And both have done damage in this area, right? Many of us see sex as God or we see it as bad. And, and culture Right? It sees sex as God. That is everything. And what you do with this area of life matters, and it matters intensely. And the church has seen sex as both God and as both bad in ways that has, it says it's bad in order to keep people from doing it because there can be damage in this area. Right? This is what purity culture is all about, and so many of us have had bad experiences with purity culture, including myself. Right? Like, and there are things in my life that, that were damaged because of purity culture. And if you were one of those people that was damaged by purity culture, I just want to say I'm sorry. The intent was good, and, but there's things within it that have caused real damage to people. And, so, and, and essentially, people have made out sex to be God or that it's bad. The reality is that sex is neither of those things. Sex is good, and it's really good, and that's the way that Jesus sees it. And so, again, let's go back to Genesis 1 and 2, where Jesus talks about, again, his whole worldview is shaped by these things. So God surveys all that he's made, right? And he says that it is very good. He creates male and female in his image, and he says it's good. He says that their bodies are good, right? That sex is good. That sexual desire is good, right? And in fact, what I love is that he ends Genesis 2 with this, right? He says, hey, like these two people, right, they come together. They make one flesh. And then there's one verse after that. And he says, and they were naked and they felt no shame. How beautiful. Because for many of us, when we are naked, we feel a lot of shame. But that's not the intent. That w- that's not how it was created. Right? Sex is good. Sexual desire is good. Another example of how this is good is that there's a whole book of the Bible about sexual desire. Right? It's called Song of Songs. Boys, uh, Jewish boys growing up, were not allowed to read this until they were 13. And so, um, you, uh, well, we're going to read some of it today. So, um, so Song of Songs, I'm just going to read the last paragraph of Song of Songs um, to make this point. But it says this, love is as strong as death. It's passion as unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. This is all about sexual desire. And this is about sexual desire of a man and a woman that are basically about to consummate their marriage commitment. Right? So the Bible doesn't say sexual desire or passion is bad. No, it's good. It's very good. Right? And this is Jesus' 
This is his worldview on sex. He saw this as a really good thing. However, with anything that, like the ultimate goods in life, right? Anything that's an ultimate good, it can't be just seen as either a binary, either good or bad. It's, there's complex goods in the world, right? It's nuanced, right? So is it good or bad? Is sex good or bad? That's the wrong question. Now, let's give a, a I'm going to give an example here. Um, let's talk about fire because the passage talked about fire, right? Talked about this, uh, what did it say about fire? It said it was a, like a blazing fire, a mighty flame. Is fire, is it good or bad? Both, right? It can be good and it can be bad. Today it's 30 degrees outside. The last time it was 30 degrees in Austin. We had a national emergency because it snowed and it's Texas. And a lot of people lost power in their house, right? If you had access to a flame and you had no power in your house and it was freezing. And I know that many of my students and many of my friends lost power. Right, and they were freezing. But if you had a flame in that moment and you could feel that heat, is fire good or bad? Fire is good, right? But just like fire is good in the right environment, in the right context, when you can harness it and use it and leverage it for good, it's incredibly good. Fire can also be bad. A few months before, Right, those winter storms for us in California, there's massive wildfires. If you ask them, is fire good or bad? Well, fire was incredibly destructive for them, right? Burning, I think it was like 4 million acres that were burned, 20% of the sequoia trees in the world, those massive trees, gone. Hundreds of homes, gone. 31 people lost their lives. Is fire good or bad? In that context, fire was incredibly destructive. When it's left uncontrolled and untamed, fire is bad. So the question of whether it is simply good or bad is not the right question. The point is that sex is good, and sex is very powerful. And it's a complex good that when it's expressed in the right environment in a committed covenant relationship that we call marriage, that it's good. It's, and it's, you know, Jesus would say it's incredible. And for us, like marriage is not just about a bunch of witnesses that signing a piece of paper or a marriage certificate. It's about something, something much deeper, right? We talked about this before. It's the union of mind and heart and body and all of these things coming together. And sex really represents that in so many ways, right? We know biologically, emotionally, spiritually that all these things intertwine from chemicals that are being released within us um, to what the scriptures say about it um, to just this bonding that happens. These things are, are good. And so for Jesus, he isn't some, <laughs> Jesus isn't a prude, right? And he's not a killjoy. And he's not regressive in his thoughts on this issue. Jesus is none of those things. But Jesus does see this as a very big deal because it is a big deal. And the second thing I want us to see here is that Jesus brings up this vision of humanity. And I'm going to fly through some of this stuff a little bit quickly because 
I'm running out of time. So, but Jesus' vision of the kingdom of God or humanity was this. Essentially, um, you can throw the scripture up on the screen on Matthew 22, 34 through 40, which is essentially this. I'll give it to you. It's um, Jesus is talking about, um, or these Pharisees come to him. They say, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, um, hey, like, there's actually two. Love the love of the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And those two, and Jesus essentially says here, that these two are inextricably linked. That if you say you love God, then you have to love your neighbor. And if you don't love your neighbor, then you don't love God. Right? Paul sums it up and he says, hey, the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. What is Paul saying? <laughs> these two are inextricably linked. And so for Jesus... The kingdom of God, the core ethic of the kingdom of God is love, right? And love is really about two things, servanthood and sacrifice. Servanthood, that I'm going to put this other person above my own and their needs above my own. And sacrifice, I'm going to do that no matter what. When it comes to this issue of lust or sexual desire um, that's misused and misappropriated, there's nothing that is loving about it. Lust is both selfish, right? And it doesn't sacrifice, right? It doesn't say, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give up this momentary pleasure for the benefit of, of the person, the other person in this scenario. No, it says, hey, I'm going to consume this person and use them as a commodity to get my own personal needs met. And so um, this idea of lust or sexual desire is a direct violation of the primary core ethic of the kingdom of God, which is love. And so this informs all of what Jesus thinks about this, and this, and Jesus gets ticked off with this, with this area. And again, we're going to see this in a minute. Jesus gets mad. And why does Jesus get mad? Because there's nothing loving about this. Um, and he particularly here like, he gets mad at men. And why does Jesus get mad at men? <clears throat> well, I would say, well, it, well, one thing, this crowd, he's talking to a, a group of his disciples. A lot of us assume that this is just, like, the 12 disciples. Well, the 12 disciples is something, this is Matthew 5. The 12 disciples don't come about till Matthew 10, right? And we know from Luke that Jesus had a ton of female disciples, right? So this is a mixed crowd. We can be pretty comfortable in assuming that. So he's not just talking to men here um, in the whole Sermon on the Mount. But he addresses men specifically. Why? And I think the reason why is because Jesus wants the kingdom of God to be a place where women can feel safe to be a part of. Because in that time, in that place, just like today, many times, like, women did not have a safe place and sexually um, and within their culture that day. And so Jesus talks about divorce here, right, in verse 31, 32, and says, hey, you can't divorce a woman for any reason that you want. You ha like, if she commits adultery, then you can divorce her. But you can't just, for, there's no, this isn't an easy divorce culture, right? Like, you have to have a reason because these two have become one flesh, Jesus says in Matthew 19, right? And women back then, if they weren't married, they had really hard ways. It was almost impossible for them to 
to provide for themselves. So this left them in a vulnerable position. So Jesus says, hey, this isn't okay. So we're not going to allow easy divorcism within this and put women in a vulnerable situation where they have no power. Then he goes on and he says, hey, not only that, but we're not going to let women be victimized. And even further, what happens a lot of times, and particularly with women, is that when somebody's objectified and somebody's oppressed in the area of sexual desire, a lot of times for men, this leads to violence and violence against women. And I think Jesus is, he's not stupid. He knows that. He's wise. And so Jesus talks about that here. And so I want to talk about an issue that they didn't have in the first century, but we have now, and it's called pornography. And pornography is a huge issue within our culture. And this isn't just a men's issue. This is a female issue as well, right? Statistics say 2014, and that was a long time ago um, for this, that if you look on a monthly basis, 18 to 30-year-olds, there's almost zero statistical difference between a male and a female looking at porn, right? So this isn't just a men issue, and I get that. And in the church, a lot of times, we only address men. So pornography, and, and wow, like I don't have time to get into it. But man, this is wrecking our culture. Pornography, um, in so many ways. Pornography, let me back up. Pornography, um, 10, 15 years ago, there was a guy named Mike Foster. He used to travel around, and he would go to college campuses, and he would talk about pornography, and he would debate this guy who was um, a leader in the porn industry. And so he was a Christian guy, and he would go and do this, and um, a lot of people just ridiculed him, like, you're an idiot. Like, porn doesn't affect anybody, right? It has no negative impact on people's lives. And yet, in about 2010, on Reddit, there began groups that would pop up because of sexual addiction— because our pornography addiction was popping up, and men were going, this isn't okay, and this had nothing to do with Christians, right? Um, And then a few years ago, like, um, there was a TED Talk on this, and then uh, Russell Brand, who, you know, British actor, comedian, to me, Katy Perry's um, ex-husband, he actually came out, and he, um, he's now an anti-porn activist, and he has this whole, like, 15-minute, like, uh, deal on, porn and the negative effects that it's having on people, right? It's rewiring people's brains, right? An 18 to 24-year-old, 24-year-old's erectile dysfunction is increasing at an alarming rate from 3 to 25% in about 30 years. A quarter of 18 to 24-year-old men are dealing with erectile dysfunction because of pornography. And not only that, it's destroying people's ability to connect with others personally. Um, homeboy, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, wrote a movie called Don John, and I think it was like 2014 or 15. Incredible movie. He funded it completely himself on this issue of not being able to, a man that can't connect with a female because of this issue of pornography. Anyways, this is, on so many levels, this is affecting so many people. And I want to give you uh, one quick uh, stat. And... um, and then I'm going to end pretty quickly after this. But one quick stat on this stuff um, from Jay Stringer, because that's not the worst of it. The worst of this stuff within pornography is that pornography, um, well, I'll just read it here. 
Um, here's the reality, according to researchers. This is from Jay Stringer's book, Unwanted. Here's the reality. According to researchers who analyzed the content of more than 300 popular pornography videos, 88.2% of them, um, top-rated porn scenes, contain aggressive acts. In 70% of occurrences, a man is the perpetrator of the aggression. 94% of the time, the act is directed toward a woman. Now, I have some quotes from Billie Eilish and um, some other um, people that kind of dig into this deeper. Um, I'm not going to give those quotes to you because they're, they're just too graphic, quite frankly. Um, but these issues of pornography and violence against women are directly correlated and connected. And um, it's, not, it's not just uh, affecting people... Um, it's not just affecting people that are of age of consent. It's affecting people that are really young. This is how kids are learning to have sex these days. And these things are being integrated into that. And, and again, like, when sexual desire is misused and misappropriated, it ends up in the objectification and oppression of other people. And unfortunately, throughout history, that has been specifically most of the time women. Not all the time, but most of the time women. And so Jesus, Matthew 29 through 30, and I'll end with this. He says, this is a big deal. And he ends and he says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, <clears throat> then gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for all, your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So is Jesus promoting self-mutilation? Maybe. Just kidding. He is not, right? He's using hyperbole. This is a form of speech. We understand this. We're smart people, right? But he's making a point. That this is a drastic issue. This is a big deal, right? And that you should take drastic measures in this area of your life. Um, so I want to talk about a few different things. These aren't necessarily drastic issues because I think if I brought up drastic issues, you wouldn't do them. So I'm going to bring up issues that I think are Solutions that I think that you may take into consideration into finding freedom in this area of pornography in your life or misappropriated sexual desire. The first is to integrate the gospel, right? That God radically loves you. Like he is not here to make your life worse or to hurt you or to hinder you. He radically loves you. So he wants good things for you, but he's seeking inward transformation. So this is not about behavior modification. This is not about slapping your wrist with a, with a rubber band or just putting a bunch of stuff, filters on your computer because that will not change what's going on in here, right? So you cannot do this on your own. You need somebody. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us access to that to renew us, to change us from the inside out. Unwanted, the book that I mentioned before by Jay Stringer, amazing book. If this is an issue for you, unwanted sexual thoughts or choices, Read that book. It is so good. Um, but it talks all about integrating the gospel. The second thing is tell someone. This changed my life when I was 19 years old. The first time that I told somebody about my issue with pornography, it radically changed me because I realized I wasn't alone. And specifically, I think men, a lot of times, we have access and we have places to talk about this. But for females, I'm afraid that there's so much shame around this that there's just not places to talk about this. So if this is something that you struggle with, tell someone it, that alone 
um, will do a lot, a lot for you that's really good. Third thing is seek to humanize the other, right? Learn people's stories, right? When you know somebody's story, it's a lot harder to objectify them. Fourth, join a recovery group. There's things like uh, Celebrate Recovery, Step Studies, Alcoholics Anonymous has a sex version of that. Um, something called Freedom Fight. Those are all good. Five, limit access to digital devices pri privately, right? Like, so, hey, leave your devices in a room where everybody else is, right? Don't take things into your room. Limit your access to your cell phone. You know, this all changed with smartphones, to be quite frank. Like, so if you have a major issue with this, consider getting a flip phone. That's one of the things I didn't think you would do. So just put it in your main, the main area of a room. Don't take it to bed with you. Six, add an internet filter. There's different things that you can put. And then basically you put this thing, like it's called covenant eyes. It basically tracks what you look at on, your, on, your, um, on the internet. And then it sends it to somebody else. Um, make that person somebody else that you don't want them to know that you're looking at this. And that would be helpful. Make it your grandma. That's helpful. Um, okay, resources. Unwanted. Great book on this stuff. Um, I cannot recommend this one enough. Uh, second, Freedom Fight, the website. They have a 30-day challenge. It's great. Third, the Desire Series by Crew. This is specifically for women. Um, this is a, a blog that one of my old students um, created. I was on staff with Crew for like for a year. And one of my students who struggled with this, her name's Heidi, she actually wrote this whole thing with some other girls on this issue. And so... Um, and specifically with women. So um, all these other things can be for men or women. So um, I want to end with this. I'm sorry I rushed through so much at the end. This is a lot to get through. Um, but for some of us, I know that everything I just said to you, like, and I, no matter how much you talk about God's love, there's just shame that just goes deep inside of you. And you're feeling horrible about yourself. And again, what I want to remind you is that God does radically love you. He cares deeply for you and for those around you that are experiencing and have experienced hurt in this area. And as we take communion, I want us to be reminded of God's love for us and the hope that we find the good news in the gospel in light of this subject. And so I want to end with this quote by Jay Stringer. <laughs> he says this, um, God approaches us for our joy, not, to, not due to his disappointment in us. His heart is to exchange beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, and praise for despair. There is no depth of shame that the love of God cannot reach. There is no story he cannot redeem. The paradox of the gospel is that our failures do not condemn us. They connect us. God radically loves you. And if you were perfect, he didn't have to die on the cross. But it's because of our condemnation that Jesus died for us, that we could say there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.